Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands. The habitat. The hunting. And of course, your favorite bird dogs. Alright, welcome back. It's another episode coming at you from National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic 2022, Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, I've got a guy that, uh, unless you've been living under a rock, you know this person. Ryan Callahan from Meat Eater, host of Cal's Week in Review. to been kind enough to not only be here all weekend at National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. Um, he's donated his time as a public lands uh, stage speaker, donated his time as the moderator of the Grasslands Act panel, um, and, and donated it. Like, he has asked for nothing out of our organization to come here and be at this show and volunteer. And he's a volunteer on the National Board of the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Um, he's the legit deal. You know he's a legit hunter, right? You see that on Meat Eater, but he's a conservationist too. And you see that and you hear it coming out in your podcast more and more and more. So first of all, Cal, on behalf of our organization, um, thank you very much for for taking up your time. I, I've seen... I've tried to walk a show floor with you, and I've seen how you get pulled in every direction, and I'm sure invitations and requests come your way all the time. But on behalf of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, thank you very much for being here and, and giving up your time and talent to our organization. Well, I'd, thank you. Yeah, no, I'd, I um, like we talked about when, when you first extended the invite, uh, I don't get the opportunity to volunteer a lot because of a crazy schedule, uh, which is an excuse. Yes. Um, but so it, yeah, it, it was awesome that, that the calendar aligned and, and I was able to come down and, and, uh, try to be helpful somehow, some way. So thank you very much for the invite for putting up with me. <laughs> um, well, for what folks should know is, uh, the personality that you portray on the TV show is really you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when somebody was asking me, well, what's Cal like? Like, not a diva, you know, he's, <laughs> he's legit, normal, nice guy. Um, and I think I, I, I sense that you take great pride in that, right? I mean, you, you want to be a normal guy. Well, I mean, what's normal? I don't know. <laughs> you know, the... Yeah. I, I, wherever I am, however you define that, I, I, I got here by, you know, just kind of being my own bullheaded self and, and, and kind of being selfish and doing the things that I, I wanted, which was really just generally being outside, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that was like a long journey of not saying no to jobs. Mm. And uh, swinging a hammer, doing construction, working as a framer, a little finished carpentry here and there, hmm. um, uh, bartending, uh, <laughs> any, I mean, any anything, right? Worked for a buddy's rental company, putting up wedding tents and moving stuff and and uh, driving some truck and, and guiding, hunting, fishing, whitewater, 
and literally a lot of paid and unpaid positions or in, in positions that were supposed to be paid that turned out to be unpaid and and um but it was all kind of written off of like oh win some lose some as, as uh, at least i was outside mm. you know so um it it certainly doesn't wouldn't I, i've never thought about uh forgetting about that stuff well yeah so. and i say i know i, I kind of caught you off guard with that but it's like you're very gracious on the i mean you get it absolutely stopped every um five feet let's take a selfie and you're, absolutely you know you you have just well, very down-to-earth personality there's some credit for the the pheasants forever quail forever crowd that's here though too um and and certainly credit that's due for the overall meat eater crowd as well mm. like they're they're our people right like mm. these folks are there to not they're not there to talk about themselves they're there to um say like hey you know thanks for covering these topics and yeah. by the way here's here's another topic mm-hmm. um you know have you have you heard about the klamath falls wild, uh wildlife refuge right. and how how we're running out of water and um a, a gajillion other examples what mm-hmm. do you think about quail regulations in georgia uh, how do we, you know, and and it's stuff that I, I truly love to, to think about and do think about all the time. And that's what's going on here mm-hmm. as, as well as a lot of fun too, right? <laughs> right. Um, but it, it's all, at the, at the end of the day, the only tragedy of these things is like you got to divide your time up so much. Sure. Right. So uh, you could have a lot of conversations and, and, um, all of them leave a little something to be desired because you just can't spend the right, the right amount of time. Some of so. them are pretty surface, and I've got you working from stage to stage to stage, so you've been running and gunning. What 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 I do want to ask about, like get, get a lot of in a lot of podcasters, you know, you talk about all the issues on your on your weekly podcast, but you probably haven't told the Cal the Ryan Callahan story recently and that's what I'd, I'd like to just go back on for our members to know like where your upbringing is because I think that there's a perspective that they come in watch meat eater and like Ryan Callahan mule deer crazy only hunts big game but you've got some deep roots as a bird hunter and person that loves dogs and I'd love for you to tell that side of you uh, for our audience yeah, in in my family, the only valid hunting was hunting Canada geese in a very specific way on the river with with uh, the same people hmm. every time. And it only happened a, a couple times a year, and and that was really what hunting was. And it, and there was more of a social aspect to it. Um, my mom's family, you know, Grandpa grew up in North Dakota. And he was a, a pheasant hunter, hmm. but it was like you shot pheasants on, on your way to and from school mm-hmm. and, and they were food for the family mm-hmm. type of thing. So, um, it was not, you know, there's like some of that kind of like dust bowl depression era mentality, right? And like dad's family got beat up. Uh, in agriculture, they actually, um, 
homesteaded in the Gallatin Valley, where is where where I'm at now, mm-hmm. which is really crazy. Hmm. Um, and uh, traded in farm ground there, cattle ground there for a big dryland piece, and then got beat up in in the Dust Bowl, and then they kind of ran to the cities, which would be Helena, Montana, at the at the time, and and they were you know kind of kind of city folks from professionals right like mm-hmm. the irish folks that didn't go to the mine but they were um uh working in uh some sort of like city government or law or something like that and and my grandpa was probably like, the most serious goose hunter uh on my dad's side of things and and he was uh, uh oral surgeon hmm. and hunted geese in in canada primarily and in eastern montana with some with some pheasants after your goose hunting was done and and he had some like golden retrievers uh when uh like my my dad and and aunts and uncles were young but it was like already kind of like this like well never will be as good as what we had it type of thing and Mm -hmm. and um my dad was was way more of an organized athletics guy hmm. and and still is and he knew that i had this you know crazy passion for the outdoors and it couldn't he had a hard time like really facilitating that and he had a hard time like trying to figure out why i wasn't like super in into organized athletics because uh, that's like what the family did what's any sport in particular football is is you know king okay so um you know dad's got a national championship uh my uncle mike's got a national championship really yeah my my uh grandpa is a two-time all-american in basketball and football out of carroll college huh um and where, where is the national championships from what school would, would be rocky mountain college Oh wow! In uh, at, at, in Billings, Montana, uh, my uncle Mike was uh, Montana State uh, Bobcat. The last time they won the national championship hmm. was 1984, uh, which that number's burned into my mind because I used to work out in a Keep It Alive in '85 <laughs> Montana State University Bobcats shirt. Okay, and they they did not. They were, they were very bad. <laughs> 84's burned in my mind as of the last time the Detroit Tigers won the World Series. Oh. <laughs> and I was uh, uh, very – it was my formative years, so that just was the high point of my, my baseball fandom. Oh, that's so funny. So you're a Tigers guy? Oh, huge. Right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah so uh, my, like, as close as uh, – one of the more solidifying, like, organized athletics thing was, was – we uh, actually lived in D.C. Dad was getting his, his law degree. Hmm. Um, I was, you know, tiny, tiny, but it was the 86 Super Bowl. Hmm. You know, I was four years old. Yeah. And the Redskins won the Super Bowl while we were in D.C. Okay. And, you know, it was like, you know, people going crazy from their little tiny balconies and stuff everywhere and mm-hmm. and i was like oh <laughs> it's, you know it's impactful for a four-year-old so huh yep and then uh it's funny in, in montana we had wgn uh-huh cubs like, radio right those are one of our like three television or stations TV, yep. right yeah so um 
lot of Cubs fans in Montana. Really? Yeah, my dad's just uh, has always been a real serious okay. Cubs fan, and and uh, had a couple of buddies that I grew up with that were were Cubs fans, and um, and again like organized athletic right. people. So football, baseball, big with with dad, but uh, let's go do something else, dad. Oh yeah, and I just like remember having like this meltdown. Hmm. over not being able to go fishing because I had to go to football practice, you know. <laughs> and, and and then, like, my mom would always get me subscriptions to Outdoor Life. Huh. And, you know, I knew there was this whole world of mm-hmm. archery hunting hmm. that I could not participate in because of football, you know. And it just, like, there was always part of me that was, like, just – and I did really become a competitor in football and, and, and loved that uh, team aspect, you mm-hmm. know, and, and working with, with folks to achieve something. I, I really, that really clicked with me and, and still does today. Um, and, and certainly like the athleticism, but I, I know like if we reverse time mm-hmm. and I was like, Hey, would you rather, you know, the football thing never would have happened, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and um, so the dad wasn't the big outdoors guy, but he absolutely facilitated it. Uh-huh. He was like, listen, I this isn't me, but here's the things that I can do to to put you in the right position. And, and one of those connections that he made was this guy, Larry Pendleton, this old outfitter. And... Um, he always seemed old, but, you know, he's probably not too far off from my age right now when I first started hanging out with him, and, and he was my dad's legal secretary. Huh. And uh, a le- legal secretary's husband, who was this outfitter, and patience of Job, and just just answered every single question. And I had you know, years and years and years of pent up <laughs> questions that I, I really sure. couldn't ask anybody. And, and, you know, there's some, some definitely some other friends like my uncle Mike, when he was on that football team, some of the guys that he played with um, were outdoors folks. Mm-hmm. And, and they're like, Oh, this kid is um, he's got, got, got the drive mm-hmm. you know and, and they they certainly recognize it. but this guy uh mark gibson and bob Byrne, um they they certainly helped out and, and bow too, hunting so. was the early focus well that was just like a major allure okay. right but the first thing was goose hunting okay and it was a you know a break action 20 gauge single shot shotgun and then my uncle was like this like you gotta you gotta gun him up because he's he's like proficient uh, and um so, so you're I, a good shot out of the gates kind of kind of you know kind of kind of come and, and go for sure and and certainly no formal training i mm. think like so many people uh in my age it wasn't like hey we're gonna practice with this and get good and right. it was like it's a shotgun right and you're dad in team sports there's probably some hand-eye coordination and it was sort of natural yeah. right yeah 
Um, and, and, but it was, it was geese. And then occasionally got to like tromp around for some pheasants and, hmm. and, um, and this is in Montana, all in Montana in, in Western Montana, you know, and, and gosh, man, I have some great pheasant hunting memories growing up, but the reality is like, as I've gotten older and moved around, it's shocking how piss poor the hunting for pheasants is in the state of Montana. And like what we do for, for habitat at, at, on a state agency mm. level is like that's just not where the emphasis is right 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 um but man because they can make a hell of a lot more money selling licenses yeah. elsewhere right yeah yeah and and you know there's still i mean there's there's plenty of good hunting the the public hunting uh is certainly available uh i do a lot of walking and, mm-hmm. and it's very fulfilling mm-hmm. and i and i love it but you cross Cross the border into North Dakota or South Dakota. I took a trip to Kansas this year, and and just see what those birds have there. Mm-hmm. And you really wonder how they're in Montana mm. for a, a big portion of the state, you know. And and we were hunting in in places in the Flathead, right, where you had a, probably a better chance of running into a grizzly bear than you did a, a pheasant, mm. you know, a rooster pheasant mm-hmm. for sure. But we were out there uh all the time trying and and really college and having even more mobility okay. got got um got to stretch my legs quite a bit more and so you you have a dog right now snort yes is but you've had dogs before snort yeah right yeah like, what age did you start getting dogs well you know i had like this the you know like the if if the God is a smiteful person. I had this dog named Nugget, and it was like a contentious Christmas gift. Okay. <laughs> from your parents? From my grandma. Okay. Right? Uh-huh. And my dad's like, <laughs> And this is how old? You're how old? Oh, I was probably like oh, 14. Okay. Right? So grandma's giving you the dog, and your dad's like, this might not be a good idea. Yeah, and it, and it really wasn't like the structure <laughs> of everything was bad the timing was bad because it was like well now it's 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 high school mm. and big social circle stuff and all the coming of age things and the structure of high school and the structure of, of athletics mm-hmm. in high school and the dog just got treated like a third class citizen mm. you know and then what what breed a yellow lab a okay. female yellow lab and and um, sophomore year in college, you got to be in the dorm f- freshman year. Sophomore year in college, we get a house, and um, I got the dog at the house. The The dog at this point is, like, on its second life because it's like, oh, I'm not, you know, very confined mm-hmm. outdoor kennel. I'm uh, a college bum like these guys. And the dogs just bonded to me like crazy because it's it's in a totally different different atmosphere, mm-hmm. and there's no like formal training with this dog, but it has a, a serious desire. Starts stumbling around for birds. Um, it's like very apparent that this dog wants wants to hunt and as prey drive, and for whatever reason, it's working. Huh? For what you know, it wasn't my. Re- wasn't me right. at all um but i'm like oh god this is awesome hmm. you know and 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 
you know, it's knucklehead college years too. And, and the, we had these super high countertops in this house and I could tap the counter and that dog from flat on her ass could sit on top of the countertop. (laughs) And that was a great party trick for people. Right. right? And, and, um, the little bit of beer money we had, I had a pair of saddlebags for that dog and I'd (laughs) put the beers in her saddlebags and, and she was only, only cared for me. Uh huh. And uh, so I always knew where, where my allotment of beer was. And um, and she was wickedly, wickedly jealous of any other human females. Huh. And uh, could snore like a human. So I remember, like, waking up several times thinking that somebody had creeped into my room, <laughs> uh, only to have it be the dog. But she was just, like, huh. this animal that, was protecting her new life like mm. she knew it was in her best interest to make this work out because life before just wasn't good right and um huh. i started hanging out with this dude kyler reardon who's still one of my great hunting buddies and and um he got a little chocolate lab puppy gunner hmm. who turned into like a giant behemoth chocolate lab but we would work we'd work really hard with our construction boss and work four tens hmm. or three twelves if he'd let us during, uh, you know, in this phase of like skipping out on college classes to work more, mm-hmm. so we had more money to hunt. Mm-hmm. And then we'd have three day weekends or sometimes four day weekends, and we'd go into the the food service uh, right next to the signs that say you can't take food home, <laughs> and we'd sit there and build sandwiches Hmm. for the whole weekend or my grandma would pack these uh, meatloaf sandwiches for the whole weekend and in these these pumpkin muffins that were like cement and they're they truly weren't good um but they were very filling (laughs) sustenance yeah and uh and we'd take off and Uh and hunt and um we'd get uh these you know ratty flea bag old cowboy hotel rooms up on the high line in montana and and they all were like western star lone star shooting star Hmm. you know uh themed Mm -hmm. hotels and and uh that dog of mine would keep the puppy the super destructive puppy in the bathroom of these hotel rooms (laughs) and not let him out so she'd she'd lay on the bed with her little paws crossed Uh And we'd come home from uh, finding some sort of food because we were relatively wealthy college kids at that point because we were kind of not going to college and just right. just working. working construction. And uh, and we'd come in, the dog would look at us, and then the puppy would try to, like, creep out of the bathroom, and she'd, and he'd go back in, and, and it was this perfect system, and, and we you know, terrorized the countryside hunting every which way we could, but mm. we did a lot of walking for pheasants. We both thought we knew a whole lot about everything and, and didn't know anything about anything, but we were out there doing it. And, and, uh, one day we knocked on a door, had a set of windrows in front of it mm. and you could see the pheasants crawling in there. And it's mm. like, there's no way this person's going to let us hunt. But it was like, Oh my God. She said yes, <laughs> you know, and and 
uh, I'm like, okay, well, you know, like I'm going to take the dog and, and go this way and, and you swing around and block. And, and it was just like this hurried confusion thing. And mm. Kyler ran over the dog in my oh, truck. Oh my God. Yeah. And so my first, Oh boy. First dog, um, she, you know, we're now we're, we're flying. We're, we're like 120 miles, miles an hour in my old Toyota pickup on dirt roads. We're both crying. Oh yeah. Um, trying to get to some town with some sort of a vet, and you know that that dog um, crawls out of my lap and dies in the backseat. Oh, you know, and, and it was just just horrific. Yeah, and, I had no idea that story was going to go that way. Yeah. Oh, that's horrible. And um, and it was it was crushing. You know, it was it was crushing. And and then um, yeah, so we, as somebody who has had a uh, dog die in their arms, that changes you forever. Oh yeah, yeah. And so we had this kind of like year of college where um if kyler chose to go to class i'd take his dog and and go hunt mm. and, and that so we kind of shared gunner for a year and then uh unbeknownst to me like the same place that we got that dog everybody became so impressed with that dog mm. um including my my dad and my my stepmom at the time that they were like unbeknownst to me they they got me on the list for mm. a dog out of that same breeder. Mm. Um, we show up. There's only two puppies left, right? Mm-hmm. And my dad's like, which one do you want? Which one do you want? Which one do you want? I'm like, I don't know. And I kind of felt forced into this mm. thing. And, and um, end up with a new, another puppy a year later. My dad takes the other puppy. Mm. Um, three days later, I get a phone call that's like, hey, um, Turns out your stepmom doesn't uh, want a dog right now. Can you take my puppy? I'll pay for the vet bill and the food and whatever uh, until I get this smoothed out. Uh Uh-oh. So now you're on the verge of going from not quite ready to two puppies. And that's what I had was two puppies. And And the writing was on the wall. like Males, females? Two female yellow labs um, from the same litter. One turns into this behemoth dog, 100-plus-pound female. And the other is is probably you know fifty probably just just right under sixty pounds huh and um they were it was you know it was a brutal time of life um but I was so determined to now make good dogs mm. that uh I read a bunch of books mm-hmm. and you know I was working construction all the time and pretty much given up school at this point um and would train individually every single day Hmm. and then i would bring them to the job site and work with those dogs on the job site you know and like have to chase electricians off who are trying to feed them mcdonald's french fries and stuff and and uh and one became 100 pounds and one became 50 ish yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and so so it, you were better at chasing off the French fries with one that dogged in the other. <laughs> well, the big the big fish, the big one. Um, she was just like this, just this beefcake girl, and and was the fastest Labrador in the water that I have ever seen. Huh? 
and uh, was not built for anything else mm. and, and kind of had hip dysplasia mm. kind of right out of the gate. And and then the other dog, Scout, was this little, like, upland hunting machine. Mm. And and, uh, and that dog wanted to hunt for itself mm. and was hard, you just, just hard. We'd have, like, these butting head fights, basically, mm. on how we were going to do things and and the big fish just wanted to hunt for you mm. that that's it she's like yeah i'm, I'm whatever can, you want boss yeah i can do this stuff and it was it was a really neat combination and and then got into like my real serious dirtbag guiding years and, and lived with those two dogs in the back of my truck all over the place put mm. on hundreds of thousands of miles um guiding in montana and, and some in idaho and and uh were you guiding duck and geese or big so game upland all of the above i, I kind of all of the above huh? but it was all structured around uh either fishing or hunting okay or um, big game hunting okay sorry yeah yeah and then but it was because i'd you know every outfitter i worked for i'd be like hey here's a deal like we're a, we're a package deal yeah and they'd be like those dogs fuck up you're gone huh. you know type of thing and and but those dogs were bulletproof huh because they had to be yeah like you just and they were with you all the time right and i wasn't in a position to um to go someplace without them and they had to had to behave hmm. and they knew it was a really interesting thing like i was just i was home nothing else was home mm. i was the routine i was sure. the the thing and so if I had to go guide a last-minute fishing trip, and um, I, I could put them on the tailgate uh, so they could crawl underneath the truck for shade, mm-hmm. underneath a big tree, put water out there and stuff, and they'd be on the, the tailgate when I got back. No and, kidding. And that was, that was the deal, yeah. So, And it, it was wild how it worked out, but I was always working with them and, and just so dead set on having huh. – those dogs have like full, fully fulfilling lives. Try to make up for for Nugget, yeah, and 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 just be like, well, if that dog was this good, despite of me, mm-hmm. wh- you know what's going to happen if if we work together and mm-hmm. and and yeah, they got to retrieve untold amounts of, of waterfowl primarily, and then mm-hmm. um, working with them on upland stuff was was super fun. But I never really got to know it like our our style of upland hunting in eastern montana especially considering that really what i was getting to do was the the shoulder of these big game guided hunts right Mm. so it'd be like oh just saw some pheasants run into you guys want to go you know Mm -hmm. and so it was kind of like this real run and gun stuff nothing real formal you know very seldom unless i was going out by myself was it very seldom like this is a pheasant hunt right right or this is a hungarian partridge hunt or sharp tail hunt and um through that though i got to overlap with some like real serious pointer guys and Mm -hmm. and real um people are like oh so you you know you fancy yourself an upland hunter do you (laughs) type of stuff and 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 got to see some different things but um now with with this dog snort so is snort Following the two, snorts the next. Snorts the next. Okay, yeah. and snort is current. Yeah, and snort is one. Uh, snort's gonna be two here in May. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but the the big dog with the bad hips lasted longer than than uh scout did hmm. and um that was a really amazing thing too because it was like that that dog literally stopped hunting hmm. her sister died she stopped hunting um it was crushing yeah it was crushing like i i was like this dog is in mourning mm-hmm. and i was like this is i don't know what to do here and uh my buddy Kit Fisher, who works for National Wildlife Federation these mm. days, um, he had this puppy named Lucy, who was a knothead, and he's like, "Yeah, he's like, well, come hunt with us." He's like, "I don't want to hunt her with anybody else because it's brutal," mm. you know. And he's like, "So if you're if you're up for disappointment, you know, <laughs> I'm your guy." Yeah, and, and uh, we started going out with him, and and the big fish would just walk by my side. She wouldn't hunt. Really? And it was just bizarre. Wow. And uh, one day we're actually into pheasants. This mm-hmm. is again up on the Flathead Indian Reservation and working our butts off. And and uh, Lucy, like, breaks and just starts hauling ass and, and chasing birds. Hmm. And there was something about this dog just not doing it right that all of a sudden – my dog was like, I am just, yeah, there's got to be like a good example here. Hmm. And then all of a sudden she started hunting and we got, I think, a rooster that day. And uh-huh. and she was all of a sudden just like. I'm back in the I'm, game. Yeah. Like, this is not how we do things, kid. Yeah, kind of like Brett Favre, because I was going to retire, but I can't. Right. Look at what's going on right there without me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so that was just like a wild deal. And and I'd moved to Idaho to start working for First Light at at that point and and, uh, had a a friend there, have a friend there who um, would plant some birds for Thanksgiving Day, Hmm. you know, in a place where there really aren't wild pheasants. And and so his kids could go out and hunt. Mm -hmm. I'd go out and help him you know stash planted birds there and and um and then he'd let me take the big fish hmm. and mop up after thanksgiving <laughs> day so there's there there's always like that one or two birds that mm-hmm. that can escape the competing wildlife out there and and mm. and go and and she was you know so old and beat up at that time but i was like she's like a retiree's dog Mm. she had this huge tail like i said she's just like built for the water and if she hit a pheasant track like she was really like walking in a straight line Mm. but if you intersected that that track she'd put her head down and she'd kind of like him and ha (laughs) turn most of the time the right direction Uh and then you'd just walk her track and and follow her that was the only way it was going to happen and then all of a sudden that tail would just start making these kind of like mm. lazy swings and then it kind of helicopter a little bit and it was just so funny i mean it really got to this point of like if that dog hit that bird scent you're mm. like that bird's toast like huh. you know if i can hit it yeah. the bird's toast yeah. you know and uh and uh yeah i i because of this this friend of mine in his place actually uh buried that dog right at the site of her last uh pheasant retrieve wow yeah and she was like 
so old and beat up and and this bird i missed it on the first shot my buddy zach shot it fell on the other side of this swift moving ditch Hmm. real steep bank Mm -hmm. yelling at the dog i'm like don't go don't go you know and and she motors across the ditch you can just tell it's like killing her on those hips crawls Mm -hmm. up the other bank disappears and I'm like, oh God, we're like, mm-hmm. I got to find a bridge across this thing. Right. And pretty soon here she comes and kind of like army crawls down the ditch. Her back legs give out. She Jeez. like an otter into, into the Creek. And then she's in her element. She's mm-hmm. swimming again and comes up with the bird. And mm. it was just like an un, unbelievable thing, you know, and like, right something you'll never forget something you'll never forget and and in the way you want to see your your old hunting partner get one more you know Mm -hmm. so um so yeah always like been very into my dogs and 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 then when she passed away i had this huge stint Mm -hmm. and uh you know there's definitely some freedoms of not having a dog yep um some simplicities for Mm -hmm. sure but i hated it Hmm. Like, I got it, man. I How just, many years was that window? Oh, boy. It um, it was probably a, a six-year stint without mm-hmm. a dog, yeah. Mm-hmm. Five or six-year stint without a dog. And, yeah, it was, I hated it. I was mm-hmm. like, God, I hurt. Just not, <laughs> you know, because I was like, you know, I love uh, big fat mallards at the end of the season. Uh-huh. I love having some geese to, to corn um and 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 cherish that stuff in in the freezer and in the food rotation mm. but the reality is, is if you know somebody who duck hunts or goose hunts mm-hmm. you can always get ducks and geese mm-hmm. right and you know it's just like not having a whole lot of fun not having a, a dog in the game you know mm-hmm. so mm. would go out and but that really put a hurt on my upland bird and, right. and bird hunting in general and 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 i did really put the miles on and 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 work really hard on on the archery big game side of things and and have like a lot of like extra focus in there and and um and then flash forward to the new dog and Mm -hmm. um you know i i used to like i said like work really hard um public land spots i'd I'd have a tag in montana and a tag in, in idaho at least and i'd kill one or two bull elk a year at least you know one goes to my dad hmm. um and i'd keep the other one and and then not have to shoot uh a mule deer so i could pass up a bunch of mule deer and find a huge mule deer somewhere mm-hmm. or not you know and i'd eat that mule deer tag all the time but um because I, I had groceries in the in the freezer right, right. and uh so now with snort um there's probably some folks out there that are like oh guy's a big elk hunter and it's like, I have no no issue not shooting an elk, huh? You know, because it is interesting. And I preface this or like the perception of you. My perception of you is like hardcore, big game, right? And it intersects with that time from first light to your beginnings with meat eater and being on TV and talking. You're talking about what you're doing, and only in the last two years since you've had snort, like you can see the content you create is yeah. is much more bird hunting oriented because that's what you're spending your time doing chasing that pup around yeah. why, why um every one of the pups i think has been a yellow 
female. Yeah. La- any any reason? Is it, well, yeah. I man. mean, you, I you get it's connected. Like the, right? It's the don't broke, don't don't. It's not broken. Don't fix it type of thing. You know, yeah. there's so many variables, right? Yeah. Like how many yeah. breeders are at at pheasant and quail fest, right? Right. And it's like, oh. Yeah, you know, <laughs> fortunately, like Snort's mom mm-hmm. is is this dog Sage out at uh, Riverstone Kennels, and I a friend of mine that was his first uh, yellow lab female puppy in a, in his whole life. He always had uh, black males, and so I got to see her as a little tiny puppy, mm. and um, actually got to meet the the breeders Josh and Whitney there. Uh, and, and they were, uh, they were willing to just kind of keep pestering me for like 10 years. <laughs> and Josh is Josh Miller, yeah. uh, who's been on this podcast before with you know, sport dog, um, uh, pro staff. And as you mentioned, Riverstone Kennels and great guy, uh, shed hunting champion with, uh, yeah. with Tom Dawkins deal there. So yeah, go ahead. And so, you know, this and and known the mom forever and and uh have you know a couple of groups of friends that have dogs out of their kennel and stuff and and all of a sudden like you know it's like freaking covid time mm-hmm. and now i'm like god i'd kill for a dog huh. you know? and out of the blue uh whitney like check just checking in seeing if you're ready <laughs> And and they're like, oh, by the way, it's Sage's last litter, mm. and um, it's gonna be a good one, mm-hmm. you know. And and we're really trying to make sure that they go places where they're gonna hunt, mm-hmm. you know. And and so that was a bit of a challenge. And I was like, this is so stupid. This is so stupid. This is so stupid. But I, yeah, got got in and got a puppy, and mm. and. Um, and it was the the day I got the dog home. She, you know, I try a little pet carrier on Delta, mm-hmm. bring her home. Um, turns out we're we're house sitting, Giannis Patelis's dog, which is a giant hound dog, hmm. and who is himself just a, a puppy and a lovable dog. But this little yellow lab. He's like, oh, my God, what the hell is this thing? Hmm. And then the next day, and she did great, and the next day um, I take her fishing on a, on a jet boat on the Missouri River, mm. steal, steal Steve's jet boat, go fishing. And um, we, I, I put her on, on the bank so she can pee, and the boat's on anchor, and, and we kind of swing out on the anchor, you know, maybe 15 feet from shore. And Chester, my buddy Chester, is like, you think you think she's going to jump in the river? I was like, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. There's, this is the most intimidating thing And ever. she's how old at this point? She's seven weeks, yeah, right? There's seven no weeks, way, right? right? No way she's going to yep. jump. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm fishing away, uh-huh. trying to find this early spring walleye bite, you know. <laughs> and I hear like, blunk. Huh. And I look, and she's just motoring for huh. the boat. And I was... You know, absolutely blown away. She's uh-huh. shivering to death, you know, and have her all all wrapped up. But I was like, in that, you know, like that's the first time she impressed me, mm-hmm. you know. So, 
she's, she's a good one and, and i am working with her and i've had josh work work with her mm-hmm. uh during a big um uh, travel stint last year and boy it, it's so hard right now to know to go back to like the wild yellow lab females right um it's so hard to know what worked in the past, mm-hmm. which was just consistency and being with them all the time. To now, it's like life's way different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do travel a lot for work, um, and I, I, you know, just can't take the dog everywhere I go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you need one less variable in life. Yeah, and, and having, um, you know, having that ability to uh, have Josh trainer a little bit was was huge. Um, but it's also like, God, I gave my dog away to somebody. Yeah. You know, there is just like right or there's, I don't think there's like any hard, hard rights or wrongs, but you know, I am like tormented by having somebody else train. Um, Hmm. we're on a really good foundation now. I got a lot of, a lot of work to do, but there's, it's just a different reality, right? Yeah. I'm not going to have that seven weeks in a row. Right. It's always going to be like. You know, five days on. Stop and start. Five days off, mm-hmm. you know, which is brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why you adjust your expectations to, you know. Right. So. Well, and you spend the time to make sure you get good breeding, and that closes the gap pretty far, too. And, gosh, man, I had such good luck with, with you know, $250 labs yeah. in the past, right? Um, but, you know, it's like, God, man, it was brutal watching that, that big dog of mine have – you know, some sort of a hip issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there, like, there's something about this is the easiest freaking dog I have ever hmm. trained to do anything, hmm. you know, and the boiler something to that, yeah. you know, and, 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 uh, I, I, I certainly want to believe that there's, there's ways around spending big money mm-hmm. because I want, Every kid who wants to hunt to have a dog because mm-hmm. it, it's such an incredible responsibility tool and and um, such an incredible independence tool. You know, like yep. like you you have a, a teammate ready to go whenever you want to go, mm-hmm. and that's that's huge for people, especially like we you know I talked to a lot of first time hunters here, mm-hmm. um, and it's so intimidating without some sort of a mentor, mm-hmm. right? And uh, those dogs are, are just so damn fulfilling when you, you work on just the absolute basics. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden they don't break when you shoot. Right. If you're in a duck blind, you send them and they go retrieve the thing and bring it back. And you didn't have to run out there in your leaky waders and, and risk falling over to try to grab some bird that's sailing down the river, right? Right. And and it's magic. You're yeah. like, it's magic. You're like, oh, my God, that's amazing. So It does add a um, tremendous layer of success that, you know, hunting without dogs can be extremely fulfilling and gratifying and all the work. But you add that layer of the dog teammate component to it, and it's a completely different pursuit than – um, a lot of other different types of hunting and in particularly you know in the uplands when you're you know covering a tremendous amount of ground right you need that that teammate to to work in partnership with you 
Yeah, and and you have never in your life wanted just one Hungarian partridge. <laughs> it's so bad in your entire life, right? right? You're like, I just need contact. Yeah, I need something. And and uh, you know what? I was getting snored on birds for the first time. She was so short mm. that she couldn't see above the sagebrush, right? Mm. That, that's how it opens in Montana, right? Yep. Your, your grouse and partridge open and then pheasants later yep. on. And and, and um, so the first time, like, she's just playing around, following me, and uh, some birds get up. I get one. There's this big puff of feathers, and she's sitting there next to me, and I and I, I sent her, mm-hmm. like, so it was like a waterfowl retrieve. I'm like, snort. And and she goes, I'm like, oh, she's going right for the feathers that are trickling out. Mm-hmm. The bird actually fell over here. Um, she's going to get hung up in those feathers falling down, because why wouldn't you? Yeah. And she blew right through them. Huh. Smelled something. All of a sudden, grabbed that bird and brought it back. And <laughs> my girlfriend was out there with us, and she turned to me and she said, Oh my God, this is the first time I've ever seen you happy. <laughs> so, you know, she and I had our own things to work through, um, but she's, she's, <laughs> but she's like, oh, like, whoa, I'm missing out on something here. So, uh, it's classic. Um, but then, you know, so that was huge, yeah. right? Huge, huge, huge step forward. But then I was like, okay, like, we got to, <laughs> she just thinks this happened, right? Uh-huh. Like her job is to like find these birds out here, right? Connect another dot now, right? And then making that situation. And it was a couple of outings and 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 a couple of retrieved birds hmm. before that kind of perfect situation came together. Where um, she was like, "Oh, I smell them. Uh huh. I follow the smell. I found the birds. The birds got up. Big bang." Yeah. I saw a bird drop. I went and picked it up. And that's how it's all supposed to happen, you know? And so, like, once that, ha- you know. And, and how far into the season before all the dots were linked together like that? And what was the bird? So, it was it was still a Hungarian partridge. Okay. Um, and, you know, it was, it was probably, like, the third week, you know? You have a gifted child. Yeah. Well, it was... Uh, as much repetition as as I could, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, a lot of, I mean, so my biggest thing for improvement for anybody is time in the woods, mm. right? So if all you can get in is 10 minutes, mm-hmm. you can't replace that 10 minutes any other way. Right. Not through reading a book, not, not through watching a show, not through a YouTube channel. Like you have got to have that time in the woods, even if you're like, oh, my God, there's only 10 minutes left. Mm-hmm. Um, or I know I'm not going to get anything. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, but you are going to get something. Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to be out there at a time that you haven't been before. You're going to uh, ideally absorb the situation mm-hmm. and be like, oh, you know, it's it's dusk. It's These are the conditions. And walked this type of cover, and there weren't birds there. Yeah. So the next time you go out with 10 minutes left, you're like, oh, I recognize these conditions. I'm going to walk this other type of cover Mm -hmm. and see if there's birds there. 
I wholeheartedly agree. Like one of the most underutilized training opportunities, like the 10 minute rule is spring before nesting season. For me, it's the woodcock migration north. And oh, it's, cool! It's at right. It's it's at mid March to mid April, and most public lands, most places, you can't go after April sixteenth for nesting season. Good reason, right? But yep. as birds come back up north, as the snow melts, in woodcock holds so darn tight, particularly for for pointing dogs, yeah, young pointer. You go back into the woods, just like you say, no gun, right? doesn't matter and so that's the best training because you got one singular focus the dog yeah and you're figuring out the habitat you're watching your dog you're seeing how they're getting birdie what they're doing right what they're doing wrong and what you do in march and april it's like your your dad and his sports right what you do in practice practice i'm talking about practice <laughs> exactly. right yeah is what happens in the fall and what you do in march and april makes the bird dog in september and october yes. and that's what you're talking about yeah oh yeah yeah and 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 the other thing for you right is like seeing the conditions it's like picking the right dry fly right like you're matching the hatch mm-hmm. you're you are picking the best way to put your player in the field, put mm. your dog in the field to maximize success, right? And and I, I say it all the time, like success for me was like, I just need her to smell a bird and push it up. Mm. That's it, you know? Like I need her to like recognize these bird smells, you know? And, mm. and, um, and man, you learn, you just learn so much by being out there. Yeah. You learn so much right. by being out there. And, and for mule deer and elk, it's absolutely no different. Like I killed a lot of elk in spots where I was picking mushrooms in the spring. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, killed a lot of nice mule deer in spots where I was picking up elk shed antlers. Mm-hmm. Um, because you are seeing the landscape in a way that it is much, much different than than it is when you're actually hunting mule deer sure. and there's things that are, are much more uh, visual that stand out in contrast huh. in the spring than they do in the fall where you're like, Oh, I see why I see why mm-hmm. like, uh, I, yeah, this is, this is that spot that mm-hmm. I bumped into that deer. Mm-hmm. And now I see why that deer's here. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the fall, yeah, I was blinded by the fact that there's a big buck over here. And I didn't see this, like, giant uh, multi-generational bed that's, like, buried underneath this rock. Mm. Mm. You know, like, things like that. And and on the, the bird hunting side of things, that is what's so cool is, like, you can put all of this stuff together and see, like, that seasonal progression of food. Um, the seasonal progression of covers. Um, and then always with, with public land, it's the people game too. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, Oh, I get, I get it. Like this is, Oh, on this property that borders this place, people don't actually hunt on this one. They do. This is how they do it Mm -hmm. because they're not going to play the wind every time they're leaving from their buddy's house over here. Right. And that's what pushes things this way instead of this way or, um, 
you know, finding those new spots where you ideally you go, Oh, it's a Southwest wind today. Right. And I can start over here at this place and, and hunt it versus hunting this place wrong for mm-hmm. half the day in order to hunt it right and messing up, mm-hmm. you know, like possibly my only opportunity. Um, I could talk with you all day. Fascinating stories. I, I want to hit on two things. I want you to talk about the, um, uh, the rattlesnake story because I think that's an important one. Um, for bird dog owners to know. And then we'll talk a little bit about, um, you know, you, you, part of the reason you're here is uh, moderate the Grasslands Act. So I want to talk about that before we're done. Yeah. And I'm conscious of getting you out on the show floor because you never get to do what you want to do. You're always, you, I've had you running from thing to thing, and I know there's a little shopping you want to do. But I, I want a dog whistle. Yeah, That's well, it. we got to find it's you a dog, dog whistle. whistle. Yeah. Um, but tell tell us the the rattlesnake story for our members who maybe don't know it. So, the the rattlesnake venom is a crazy thing. Um, almost all rattlesnake venom has um, a there's a neurotoxin, there's a hemotoxin, and there's um, a, a flesh eating component to the toxin too. So it's gonna prevent blood from clotting it's going to decompose flesh and it's going to mess on some level with uh, your dog's ability to move and 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 think a little bit um, hmm. and we have a bunch of different snakes all over the place um, but they all come have some level of that combination and it's all designed so they can incapacitate and digest their food. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously they use it in, in a defense manner as well, but it, it's really designed around eating a gopher. Hmm. Um, and uh, we were way out in uh, places that a place that's known for, for rattlesnakes, the high desert in Idaho called the Owyhee. Um, a buddy of mine drew a sheep tag. It's very, very remote country. Um, there's pretty good vehicle access to, uh, these inroads, these cherry stem roads into the wilderness. And then you got to hike from there. And we were down there trying to find a big old ram for my buddy Jim and, and had a great 24 hours leading up to this and, and actually found some, some sheep. A group of ewes and, and uh, lambs uh, this morning, and then when it started to warm up and everything started head, head, heading for cover, we turned around and started heading back towards the side-by-side that's parked out on this cherry stem road. And uh, the dog's just kind of trotting around, and, and I had honestly seen this area that just looked real snaky. Mm-hmm. And I was like, eh. Yeah. Called her back. We turned. We kind of went around it. Um, and, uh, we're on a section of this cherry stem road, but not in the motorized area. And, you know, we're just heading for, heading for home essentially for camp. And, uh, I saw her kind of, yep, kind of real, but all in her head Hmm. up, you know, right in front of me. And, and she came back 
and she always checks in with me if she gets an ouch, you know, like she mm-hmm. yips, she scoots back in for a little reassurance. Mm-hmm. A, you know, I'm like, yeah, barbed wire's not fun. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then off she'll go again. Uh, but And there's a little red pinprick of blood on her ear, on the leading edge of her ear. Um, and this is fall of 21. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, – in that first week of September. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm like, mm, this isn't good. Mm-hmm. But I tell her to sit. And then I walk over to where she yipped. Mm. And before I can even get there, I hear a rattlesnake start to buzz. Um, and get close enough to look and see, like, yep, it's a rattlesnake. Mm. And, and kind of take a good mental picture of that snake and then so i go back and i just wanted like i was 90 percent sure but i wanted to be 100 percent sure because of the situation that we mm-hmm. were in so i just wanted to identify the fact that yes it is a rattlesnake and not a bull snake um and try I, it's too far it's just too darn far for me to get her out like carrying the dog mm. in in a way so we're just trying to walk very calmly eventually she tells me that Man, I'm done. Mm. So I, at that point, pack her up, haul butt as fast as I can, about three miles to where the side-by-side is. Are you carrying her in your arms to your chest or in the backpack? backpack. Okay. Um, Which I just didn't think was going to be something I could accomplish Mm. um, when she had more of her faculties about her. Mm -hmm. But it, it, like, already it's it's very scary Mm. because... No doubt. Because I can see the effects happening mm-hmm. and um i've had so many vets and folks with dog dogs getting bit experience be like oh labradors don't die from snake bites hmm. and um i'm like oh, this is a little dog and um so i go as fast as fast as i can get her loaded into the can-am turn around haul butt back to camp uh, my buddy Zach and Jim are in camp already. I'm like, hey, here's the deal. I have um, – Jim's got an in-reach device. I have this, like, somewhere device, these GPS mm-hmm. transmitter receiver deals. And, and uh, he's like, hey, I'm going to call his wife, Nancy. She's going to get on the phone with with their vet. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, text her on your way out. You know, my buddy Zach's like, hey, slow down. Mm-hmm. Be safe. Right. It's like 30 miles a trail to get out of there in, in the side-by-side on this old road. And um, sure enough, like two miles into this thing, I I blow a sidewall on tire. Mm. Um, and, it, and it's just like the misery just keeps piling on. Like mm-hmm. it's very painful for the dog. I'm trying to stop the bleeding on this ear. I'm trying to keep her calm. I'm trying to uh, keep her cool because it's super hot. Um, and still make progress out of here mm-hmm. and, uh, end up driving out on that rim, but the whole rest of the way, like between 10 and 13 miles an hour, mm. um, which is painfully slow, but real good progress and get all the way back, load her up, load everything up. You got to, you know, get everything ready for this super bumpy road out of there. Can't leave the side by side. Doesn't belong to me. Mm. Um, and and just crawl out of this place 
for you know the next three and a half hours um, blow up the trailer on the way out uh, in the home stretch uh, and then make it into um, cell service and, and start calling vets and it's like right at 430 445 450 455 right. and every town i go through they're like yeah how when did you get bit hmm like, yeah, sorry, we can't help you. And so no now... No kidding. Yeah, so now I have this this choice to go to uh, the big fancy vet in Boise, Idaho, or the other fancy vet in Ketchum, right? Mm. And this is based purely on who's going to have anti-venom. Mm-hmm. And I had gotten a call out to, to my old vet where I had taken the big fish and, mm. and stuff, and, and the guy's like, blew my rotator cuff <laughs> he's like but he said but we'll have you taken care of so he's like just get here you know huh um to montana no no to, no, no. to catch him catch him yeah. okay yeah and uh so get all the way up there um and you know my my big foul up in this thing was not being able to stop stop the blood flow from her ear okay um as that necrosis really started taking mm-hmm. hold it just kept eating more and more of her ear okay she started bleeding more and more um she had a really strong reaction to that um hemotoxin mm. so her blood wasn't clotting at all mm. it was like water running out of her and um and so by the time i got her to the vet she was almost in shock mm. um and this is four and a half hours later this is um four and a half hours from when I got her um, to my truck. So how many hours since she got It was about eight and a half. Oh, my gosh. This is excruciating for you. It was brutal. It was brutal. But, you know, like my uh, squeeze bottles Mm -hmm. um, that I use for giving her water in the field Mm -hmm. for bird hunting, um, that that was a huge tool because I could plug it into the corner of her mouth and and get her to drink water the whole Mm -hmm. time. Which which turned out to be just an absolute saving grace because when we finally got her to the vet and hooked into an IV, which is supposed to replenish all those lost electrolytes, mm-hmm. and um, her body wasn't taking it, mm. and so all that liquid was filling up in her skin, and and that edema was um, very uh, tender, very mm. sore, and. Um, so it was a, a big deal for getting the, the liquid into her when I could. Hmm. And then um, because she was so shocky, it was a real question. The, the vet was like, we should try the anti-venom. And I was like, boy, is it, I mean, we're eight and a half hours mm-hmm. later. Is it, is it worth doing? And she said, well, you know, some dogs do have a bad reaction to it and, and where she's at right now maybe that bad reaction is going to be a big deal. So hmm. she's like, yeah. It's a little bit of a dice roll. Yeah. Yeah. And so they let me uh, take her with the whole IV kit and try to get a real slow drip of fluids to start being absorbed. It was a brutal night. Mm. Uh, you know, there's that time that, like, every dog owner dreads mm-hmm. of, like, like okay, like it's 
the, it's dead animal. Dog, mm. the dog's dying, like noticeably dying. Mm. Real, and, and, real bummer. And she got the antivenom. Not at that point. Not at that. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. So it, it was brutal, and and I could tell like she was just like really puffing up, you know. Mm. So and uh, so I unhooked the the IV from her, and um, and she Jeez. she kind of crawled out and laid on top of me, and I was like, all right. That's that's just kind of all she wrote, and you know, you like for in hunting, you you come in contact with animals that are dead and dying all the time, and and as dog owners, we we this is what we sign up for mm-hmm. too, which is crazy, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, we get uh, she's still kicking at seven a.m. I get her down back down to the vet, and this is like the craziest, busiest vet hospital in the world. Um, and, uh, they basically had a spot for us on the floor in like an overflow room where mm-hmm. there's like business admin going on and all the vet techs and vets and, uh, are like sneaking in there to eat food, mm. um, cause they're so busy, but they, they, and they're, they're checking in and we're trying stuff and they keep checking on, on her blood levels and, and, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, we're talking about this anti-venom mm-hmm. because so much of, uh, what I've been told by other vets was like, you know, it's real expensive and really doesn't do much after a certain amount of time. Yeah. And, um, this, uh, Dr. Heidi Wogue, she is like, here, I found this last night. Because she was like, how how did you sleep? I'm like, not well. She's like, mm. neither, neither did I. Mm. Um, and she produces this this uh, test study on otters. I don't know why otters, but it was. And uh, saying there were noticeable effects of antivenin up until 24 hours. Um, she's like, I think we got to try it. Hmm. And she's like, the only other thing that we can do at this point is is a blood transfusion. Hmm. And uh, and one of the gals that had been helping the whole time um, was like, yeah, I brought my dog in for the blood transfusion. Hmm. And so they were they were prepared and they were they were ready and hmm. and, and um, that uh, anti venom worked like visually. There were some some effects um, within like twenty minutes. Really? Yeah, yeah. And so, it, uh, what were the visuals like? Could, like, was Snort starting to look at you differently? Just or? yeah, a little bit more responsive. Um, the a little more agreeable to food. Hmm. You know, and like a Labrador that doesn't want to eat is like a <laughs> right. very strange right. thing, right? And and it was so funny, too, because, like, all these uh, folks that work in that vet office are like, well, what about this food? And what about these treats? And what about, you know, they're like, it was just this big team effort, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of like this mess in the middle of it. And and, uh, and it was it was awesome. Yeah, I can't say say enough good things about them. What so. was uh, the vet's name? Dr. Heidi Wogue. And uh, it was at uh, Sun, Valley, Sun Valley Animal Hospital. That's, we, as dog owners... That's a bit of advice that we all have to find a Dr. Heidi Wolf, 
right? <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, honest to God, something in you, your life and your companionship with that dog is going to require a vet that you trust in somebody that's going to go that extra mile who, who can't sleep and looks up a study about otters. It, it, yeah. It, it might not be dog venom, right? Yeah. It's going to be something, but somebody, and even if they can't do anything, they're going to have that bond and you trust and you know that it wasn't anything that could be done. And yeah. there's a, the connection with a vet is so critically important. Do, you know, we don't, we're not sponsored by any vet. Yeah. Just go find somebody that you trust and will research otters yeah. to help you find the right answer. And these people, you know, they, they really want that job to deal with animals. They mm-hmm. don't really want to deal with people. But mm-hmm. obviously treating people is a huge part of treating people's 100%. dogs. Yep. Um, and so, you know, when I walked in there, uh, I said, hey, like, I'm very comfortable with this stuff. I'd I'd love to be in there with mm. you. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, sure, whatever. Mm. Um, and they're like, okay, well, you stay here and we'll take the dog. And so I'm sitting out there. It's emergency hours, right? Like mm-hmm. nine o'clock at night now. And and all of a sudden the door opens, and this this guy with, God, I can't remember the name of the dog, but it, you know, it's like pretzel or something and pretzel <laughs> had um some sort of a, a sketchy looking blemish taken off earlier in the week and it opened up his stitches and mm. and um they're like eh, is, you know it's an emergency and it's gonna cost you a lot and that's not an emergency and the guy's like i'd really like to get this taken care of mm. you know and, and um he missed me hosing off the kennel mat i use old bath shower mats mm-hmm. because they're super lightweight and they're kind of yep, spongy sti- you yep. know and, and uh and you know like a river of blood is coming mm-hmm. off this thing and he missed that by you know moments and um i'm kind of like watching this deal and and uh the adrenaline's kind of out of me at this point from just mm-hmm being puckered up the entire drive and and uh the doc comes out and she's like hey why don't you come in here so i go in there and um they're like yeah she you know she's right on the edge of shock and and uh, there's not a lot that we can do so we want to see if she'll just relax with you here and see if her heart rate comes down and and uh and then I'm kind of like, well, yeah, I told you guys, like, I don't want to be with the dog, mm-hmm. you know. But the reality is, is, like, people pass out all the time. Watching their dog get yeah treated. And then they have to be treated. Right. Yeah, you know, and right. they, like, whack their head or whatever. Right. You know, and it becomes, like, this giant other issue. So, mm-hmm. like, stay the heck out of the way and let the vets do the thing. But the, at the same time, like, your animals respond. Mm-hmm to you yeah they they absolutely do and, and it is very helpful it's just that people can't be trusted right, right. So, <laughs> right. but but it, it's like find that vet that has the compassion to know you and know the relationship with your dog to know like you know whether you should be in or it, 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 undoubtedly there are going to be issues with the dog that are not treatable that yeah. they can't look for 
in otter research and say, yeah, I think we're going to try this. There are going to be situations, you know, at some point, right, in 15 years, that dog's going to die. Like you said, we all sign up for it. But just find that relationship with a vet that kind of knows how your perspective is with that pup, you yeah. know. If you, um, if you were to go back and do anything differently from a preparation standpoint yeah. with the rattlesnakes in, in your pup, um, what, what's changed as you go in the field now? Well, the, the the biggest takeaways that I can give you is like that squeeze bottle training where mm-hmm. like you can get a dog to drink out of, you know, your camelback hose or, or a squeeze bottle. Right. That's, that is actually huge. Like she, she got to take in liquids. Um, when she wasn't necessarily looking to lap up a, bo- a, a water exactly. bowl. Uh, Benadryl is, is great for those situations. Um, it's, it's not going to fight the venom, but mm-hmm. it's going to relax the dog. Did you have Benadryl? I did have Benadryl, not, a, not a ton. Um, but you can, you can administer quite, uh, a lot of Benadryl. Um, you, you shouldn't overdo it, but you know, like 75 milligrams every th- three hours in a situation like that. Mm. Um, and, uh, it's not going to have some long-term lasting effect. Um, and then, you know, your your first aid kit, your dog first aid kit, um, boy, you can go through a ton of stuff. Hmm. So I went through a trauma kit built for like four people, hmm. um, all on the on the dog, and went through all the nonstick pads and the sterile pads and the gauze and the wraps and the tape and um, the quick clot. All of you know, used it all on one dog ear. And didn't effectively stop the bleed. Hmm. And, you know, stopping the bleed is the thing. Like, you can make a patient comfortable, mm-hmm. but if they bleed out, you still got a corpse, right? Yeah. So, huh. um, and, you know, that dog was screaming hmm. bloody murder if that ear got bumped somehow. Hmm. You know, and it was, and as a dog owner, you're, you're it's brutal. It's horrible. Right. But it's like, you deal with that horrible screaming on the right. front end to, to make sure that they make it, you know? So, um, Hmm. those are, those are the, the big ones. Like Benadryl is, is a nice thing for you too, Mm -hmm. because you know, like you can only take your best guesses as how to treat your best friend. So it's kind of nice to be like, Oh, here's something I can do for you. Mm -hmm. And it's just going to keep them calm, Mm -hmm. you know? So, um, and snort today, she's got a little bald ear. Yeah, but she still has her ear, and um, which was a question at the time of huh. like, yeah, do we just cut this thing off because the necrosis was so so bad that it looked like she may have lost all circulation in her ear because hmm. um, it, it was like black and mm. brittle Jeez. by the time we got it in there. So, and then uh, yeah, you know, it, there's a bunch of different videos and stuff out there, but yeah, um, knowing the difference between like plugging a hole and what a tourniquet is as far as like circulation and blood flow and things it is huge um you know the doing more good than harm is always the goal so um just just be prepared i i don't have a monster first aid kit that i have for the dog but i have a first aid kit that goes with me everywhere um and i got a lot of practice in yeah uh 
during the incident and then during the recovery of bandaging dogs. So I have a much better idea of how to do it effectively. Um, so I don't have a monster pillowcase size of stuff, but yeah, some, some, uh, self-adhering, uh, tape and some gauze and, um, some kind of watered down iodine or betadine is a good start. So bit in the ear, if you would have had a zip tie, could you have zip tied the ear or a shoestring and like stop the blood? Would that have been beneficial or would that have? So the, the tourniquet is something that people talk about, like how to effectively tourniquet an ear would be tough. Um, but, you know, there's like the old rancher style of just cutting them off right away. The ear. Yeah. Uh. And then try to, try to stop that bleeding. Oh. Right. So, so you get the poison out. Now you just got to stop the bleeding. Right. That's a hell of a way to go. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, I got a real sharp Benchmade pocket knife with me all the time. Yeah, you want to hear screaming, right? Exactly. And Holy I'm like, mackerel. and, it, and I'd, I'd had this thought go through my head of like, is this how I want the dog to die? Yeah. Like, at least she knows a snake killed her. Right. Instead of me. Right. <laughs> and, I, and I'll catch up with her on the back end and figure out the what what we should have done. But um, the I think in in this particular scenario, like, that big floppy ear is, is like, a hard thing to pin down. Mm-hmm. I think the way that ear swelled up was probably a good thing because I think it did prevent – a lot of that venom from going actually into the body. Oh, yeah. Because it kind of self-restricted itself. It was still bleeding. Um, but, uh, you know, my theory is that a lot of that venom got contained to the ear because hmm. uh, there was a huge pus pocket inside of there. And then a few days later, when we were in the recovery side of things, uh, basically a vent hole opened up on its own. Hmm. And all that pus drained out of it. Wow. And and it was like healthy skin with hair on it. Mm. And I think now it now it's another little bald spot. And I think it literally like that venom burned its way out of so there. How long before she recovered? Like that's like the most that's the thing that will make me think like I'm a crazy person this entire time. Is like, I know what a dead dog and dying dog looks like. Mm-hmm. We were right there. Mm. Um, we had a, a brutal uh, 24 hours. We had a real bad 72 hours. And, like, 10 days later, that dog's like, let's go hunting. Let's go hunting. Let's go hunting. <laughs> and I'm incredible. like, what is going on? This huh. is, you know, am I crazy? <laughs> am I crazy? <laughs> like, you, like... Huh. It's too soon. Huh. It's too soon, yeah. And any long-term potential issues? I'm a little worried that, you know, that bald ear is going to get frozen, mm. you know, so I kind of would that's grease pre- it up. <laughs> that's a pretty small worry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huh. So. That's 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 a hell of a story. Oh, yeah. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's something else for sure. But, you know, I learned a lot about rattlesnake mm. venom in the process and, and, um, you know your your dogs are wholesale mm. wholesale tougher than we are in regards to being built to uh handle some of that stuff mm. um humans are pretty fragile yeah. in regards to rattlesnake venom yeah. so all right hard right turn yep 
uh, North Americans Grassland Conservation Act. Um, since this conglomeration of 12 groups, you know, backcountry hunters and anglers, National Wildlife Federation, Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever, we started working on this the summer of 21. You created a, a testimonial video when we enrolled a, a call to action in, in September of last year asking people to write Congress the need for a North American Grasslands Act, which is modeled after NACA, North American Wetlands Act. And with you and buddy Dave Simonette from Trampled by Turtles and all these groups together, we generated 50,000 signatures into U.S. senators and U.S. representatives calling for this um, North American Grasslands Conservation Act, or Grasslands Act for short. And you came to Pheasant Fest on Saturday and Saturday morning you moderated Grasslands Act panel as we move this idea from concept to written language to hopefully about the time that this podcast is introduced um, Senator Ron Wyden from Oregon will be introducing piece of legislation um, in Washington DC as you were the moderator of the panel um, what's your impressions so with our panel? We had Howard Vincent, President and CEO of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, Sean Grassel, uh, a biologist from um, Lower Sioux um, Indian um, Tribal Group. Um, we had Land Tawny from Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, um, North American Grouse Partnership, T- TRCP, big group that you moderated. What's your impression of the conversation and, and the need for this uh, piece of legislation around grasslands? Well, I was just super impressed by the panelists because you could tell that there's some real, it's not just another thing that they've been asked to talk about. You know, it's, it's right. It wasn't give me my bullets, right? Yeah, it was a it was a passion project, and and mm-hmm. and, and there's a need there, mm-hmm. which is is very obvious um, after listening to the to these panelists. So I got to learn a lot, and it was a great opportunity. Um, I think, you know, so uh, Ted Cook on the uh, grouse partnership side of things is a you know retired endangered species biologist and he is you can tell just like very passionate about the fact he's like we've lost 50 million acres of this habitat that Mm -hmm. supports these birds that are on a steady decline and they're going to get on the endangered species list like we have got to do something um, and the idea is always like, do it now before mm-hmm. we have all these heavy restrictions that are trying to force people along. Um, and these are the birds that we love to hunt. Um, if you want to just talk about the things we want to hunt, right? These are incredibly diverse, uh, ecosystems that support an incredibly diverse amount of life. And as with hunting, like we talk about the things that we can hunt, but really we support so much life right. in that habitat that supports the things that we can hunt. Um, these grasslands are, are certainly no no different. And well, and you asked the question and made the point. Um, so you're talking about the web of life, right? You grasslands support our favorite sage grouse and, and, and prairie chickens and pollinators and monarchs, but big game. You asked the question of, of Joel with TRCP. I hear you like to hunt mule deer, you said. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's where um, grasslands are where big game is produced too. 
Oh, absolutely, and and you know, there's a lot of lot of web-footed mm-hmm. birds that crawl out in the grass, and and that's where they choose to nest too. And, right. And it's not, you know, it's like it's just grass, right? <laughs> it's like it's it's a catch-all uh, type of phrase as as well. Mm-hmm. The sagebrush steppe e- ecosystems and and um, all savannas these in the southeast yeah. and yeah. glades and. And um, Sean Grassel did did a, a great job. Uh, you know, he's got a, a really tough job. You know, he speaks on on behalf. He's there there to represent only sixteen tribes, right? right. And, and they have immense grazing lands, and mm-hmm. that's a huge part of tribal economies is, is grazing and and being at at the table and saying, you know, these are our needs and these are our fears of of um, how things can go if, if, if we don't construct this in the right way. And, uh, he did a, a phenomenal job and, and you can really, you know, really tell it they're, they're vested. Mm-hmm. He, he is here and, 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 uh, I think certainly somebody who could have a, a chip on his shoulder from not being at the table for like, other issues. Yeah. yeah. A long history of not being at the table, but instead right. of talking about that, he's, Saying, listen, this is we got to get this one right. Yeah, and that's uh, he's a bigger man than I, probably. Yeah, so. you could tell he put all his chips in the table, right? He's like, we're in on this, and in uh, universally, you go across. Uh, you know, Howard made some great points. Joel made some great points about big game. Land made great points about the potential linkage with public access and how many you know species are get, could be created on this, and then go all over the place right private land public land and and sean was really really magnanimous in his talk um about what it means to the tribes and and and, and ted was you know really powerful in his talks about you know comparing it to naka you know and yep. the bird report on every type of bird has declined in the last 15 years with the exception of wetlands and linking it right back to knock it so to your earlier point they were super passionate about this connection for the grasslands act and it's i've always talked about grasslands prairies they're sort of our backyards that we've taken for granted yeah right like yeah you and i grew up in a generation where watch saturday morning cartoons and so the rainforests are disappearing <laughs> right yeah absolutely, right? Remember this? yeah and but now it's like yeah, right there. Fifty million acres this has has gone away in the last twenty years, and and uh, there is that word connectivity is, um, it's it's just so appropriate because anybody who's who's ever had a garden knows how grass seeds can travel, and and they don't get restricted by fences, and and so that public private interface and partnership is is absolutely critical in regards to the the native species that we we want there and need there and and are so beneficial to drought tolerance and and resistance to fire mm-hmm. and and keeping those noxious weeds out when they're a healthy ecosystem and then of course you know there's the word like taking those noxious weeds out and invasive plants out um that's something that only works if you have the public and the private working together right mm-hmm. your neighbor on the other side of the fence if they do nothing right like you're just throwing money and effort away right um and so 
yeah, you know, like that bipartisan word gets thrown around a lot. But this this is just one of those things. Like it it literally benefits everybody. Mm. Um, and again, for us, like we do a lot of stuff that benefits us. If you want to think about it in real selfish terms, mm-hmm. for like two and a half months during hunting season, mm-hmm. right? So right. it's there's a lot of benefit to a lot of people up, out there. And if you're trying to make cash uh, out of the ground that you graze or, or grow food on, there's some serious benefits here that aren't addressed in the farm bill. Right. And um, hopefully by the time this thing can ge- get a bunch of co-signers mm-hmm. and get introduced and ideally passed and, and gets si- signed, there's going to be stuff in here that fits the way that you want to manage your land and you'll get not only money to do it, but you'll get an education and how to on how to implement it in your area, like the thing that, that fits best and stuff that just doesn't fit so neatly in the farm bill side of things. Right. With the farm bill, like CRP, for example, there has to be a cropping history on it before it can be offered for enrollment. When The vision for this is let's just not take those environmentally sensitive acres and break them. Let's protect them because we know they should be protected. So that's kind of the, part of the need for the this particular piece of legislation to create another tool for um, landowners um, to protect their grasslands. Yeah, and, and again, like there is, it looks like grass, but it's got giant root systems. It's actually mm-hmm. huge, huge communities that um, now we know like harbor sequester large amounts of carbon yeah uh and that's something that that we talk about more and more and more and or you even talked about early on the dust bowl yeah right (laughs) right to bring it full circle hold the soil down hold the soil down i mean let's not do that again exactly and and yeah you could see the frustration in that farmer's face you know Mm -hmm. he's like i'm 80 years old Mm mm-hmm He's like, you want me to tear this stuff up, uh, plant something that I don't want to plant, mm-hmm. and then apply for CRP. Mm-hmm. And if I get taken into the program, then plant it back into grass. Right. You know, I'm 80. Right. Right? You're talking about a 10-year deal for me. Yeah. 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 So uh, it was great because I, I know the Grasslands Act got put together taking into consideration those frustrations Mm -hmm. so it was incredible to see that those frustrations were actually voiced on the floor right without being planted there oh it was great just percolated out of nebraska yeah uh folks want to learn more act for grasslands dot org that's a website there's news stories there's all the groups that are involved um video with cal um is on actforgrasslands.org I'm going to let you go find a dog whistle. I cannot yes. thank you enough for spending all your weekend here volunteering on the public land stage, moderating the Grasslands Act, and, and telling me all these fun dog stories. I could keep going, but you got a whistle to find. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do it another time. Yeah, well, count on it because you'll get an invitation to come back and join us for uh, National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic again. It's really been a pleasure getting to know you. Oh, yeah, likewise, and, and, and it's been a pleasure just getting to see 
especially like there's like real young folks who are like mm-hmm. jacked about working on the farm bill through pheasants forever that I bumped into last yeah. night, you know, and it's like, <laughs> it's like, God, I wish I was doing something so productive when I was young. Um, but, uh, yeah, just, just really appreciate seeing the, the crowd here at pheasants forever. Like I said, the, they're focused, they want to learn and it's uh it's a contagious crowd and i'm looking forward to coming back so. well and the last thank you is um thanks for covering conservation as much as you do on cal's weekend review um you know 200 and what do you got Two hundred sixty thousand followers on instagram um, i think you're the second biggest podcast next to meat eater in in uh the entire industry um so thank you for for raising the voice of conservation and keep getting out there bird hunting our folks love seeing you uh behind snort i got some fun stuff coming down the pipe but what i'm looking forward to is bird hunting with snort so good yeah good yeah all right folks that is ryan callahan you know him as cal meat eaters um cal's weekend review podcast Um, I'm Bob St. Pierre thanking you for listening and reminding you to always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Thank you.